back into Genesis tonight, back to Genesis chapter 24. Um, we've left off, I guess it's been probably about a month since we've been in Genesis together, maybe longer, with me being out of town one week. Um, Abraham is the major figure, humanly speaking at least, and he's been the major figure in Genesis since chapter 12. That's when God plucks him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He makes a covenant with him, and there are three major planks to that covenant. Those three major planks are Joshua. Blessing, blessing, land, and descendants. Yeah, land, seed, and blessing. Absolutely right. Sorry to put you on the spot, but I did that once before, and I, I just thought I'd you can uh, hate me later. Um, I did. I had faith that he would know it, and guess what? He 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 did it. Uh, a specific promised land, a multitude of descendants, and blessing. All the families of the earth would be blessed through Abraham. And in addition to that, God's going to bless those who bless Abraham. God's going to curse those who curse Abraham. Of course. As time goes on, as we saw, the big problem is Abraham is now very old. He doesn't have a son. There's this thing with Ishmael and Hagar. We're not going to recapitulate everything, but at the age of 100, he has a son by his wife Sarah, who's 90 at the time. Isaac is his name. And where we left off is Genesis 23, where Sarah dies, and Abraham buries her in a cave that he bought on some land in Canaan. That would be their home. Their, the, uh, remember, it wasn't just, you know, they didn't go back to Ur of the Chaldeans to bury Sarah. They didn't go back to anywhere. They went, they stayed where they were. This was their home, and that's very significant. And all that happened, Sarah died when, uh, when Isaac was 37 years old. And so that brings us to Genesis 24, and it is 67 verses. It is the longest chapter in Genesis. It is the second longest single recorded episode in Genesis. If you count the flood, that takes up like two and a half, three chapters um, uh, for one event. For time's sake, we're not going to read through the whole chapter tonight. You can thank me later for that, but I encourage you to read through the whole chapter, maybe before you go to bed tonight, just to to, to gather it all in one sitting. But I am going to read some selected passages, and we're going to start tonight with verse 1. If you're looking at your Bible, verse 1 says, Now Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Uh, What a way to kick off the chapter, that, that God had blessed Abraham in every way, except that when Sarah died, she was 137 years old, or he was 137 years old, she died at age 127, He's in his twilight years, and his son is a grown man now. And God has promised a multitude of descendants. Isaac is a, is a the result of that promise, but he is a grown man, and he doesn't have a wife yet. So Genesis 24 is all about finding that wife for Isaac, who, as of now, chapter 24, is going to be 40 years old. So three years have passed since Sarah died. We find out he's 40, by the way in uh, Genesis 25, but uh, that's not really, imp- we don't need to go look at that. Abraham, <clears throat> he's had a lot of failures, but he has learned from his failures, and, and he wants what's best for him, he wants what's best for his son, he wants to please the Lord, 
And so he wants to see that blessing that God has given him preserved in his son. So it's very important to Abraham, as we're going to see, that Isaac marries someone who loves the Lord. And when I say the Lord, I don't mean you can just pick a Lord. I don't mean you can just pick a God. But we're going to see the name of Yahweh, you know, that capital L, lower capital O-R-D. We're going to see that over and over again in this chapter. And it's very important. So he is not going to pick a wife. He's not to have a wife from the daughters of the people of Canaan where he lives. It's going to be very important for Abraham that, uh, well, we see in verses 2 through 4, what does he do? He commissions his servant, the oldest servant of his household, who had, in, who had charge of all he owned, it says, to not take a wife for his son from Canaan, but to go to his relatives to find a wife for Isaac. So he is basically commissioning his oldest servant to travel 500 miles plus to where his relatives are to find a wife. Now that servant, we don't know exactly who it is, but it very well could have been a a man by the name of Eleazar of Damascus. If that name sounds familiar to you, it should, because we saw him back in chapter 15 um, when God promised Abraham that he, and he still called Abram at that point, but if you recall, God promised him there that he would have many descendants. This is before Isaac was born. This is actually even before Ishmael was born. And Eleazar of Damascus was going to be his heir at that time. So it could have been him because he is said to have been the oldest servant in his household here in Genesis 24. But we don't know that for sure. And in fact, 53 years at least had passed since Genesis 15. So Eleazar may not have even been around still. What we do know about this servant is that he had been with Abraham a long time, and obviously he was considered a very faithful servant. And we're going to see that that was definitely the case uh, in this chapter. Now, if you're familiar with this, and again, I, I hesitate not to read all through it, but we're not going to read every single verse tonight. We see in verses, uh, well, in, in those first few verses, Abraham wants to have his servant make an oath. And so he asked the servant to place his hand, it says, under his thigh. Uh, The word there is loins for an oath. And that is what it sounds like. Now, I'm not going to get too detailed into what that sounds like, but um, no one is exactly sure what the significance of this uh, method of taking an oath was. Our only other biblical guidance to this Uh, is later on in Genesis. In fact, it's in the last couple chapters of Genesis where Jacob is on his deathbed. He's in Egypt and he says to his son Joseph, place your hand under my thigh and swear that when I die you're going to take my body. You're not going to bury me here in Egypt. You're going to bury me actually where where my grandmother Sarah was buried, where my people are buried. And, And that does end up being the case. Uh, Joseph does promise to do that. So the significance of the oath and, and this whole symbolism of the the loins and, and whatnot, it, it could be specifically tied to the promised land and the promised seed because both times we see it, it has to do with the promised seed. Uh, Jacob was the promised seed and, and the promised land. Very important that he be buried there. So... It could have something to do with that. I'm not going to speculate any further than that because it it wouldn't do any good. But uh, in any event, he makes him swear to take a wife 
from the daughters of his relatives. And, and note that he makes him swear, you see this in verse 3, by the Lord, the God of heaven, and the God of earth. And that is significant for this reason. Because it shows that Abraham's view of God was not regionalized. Now what I mean by that is there are many times in the Old Testament where we see the gods of the Amorites or the gods of the Philistines or the gods of the Egyptians or the gods of the Arameans. These territorial idols, these territorial gods that these different people groups from around the region worshipped. And and so what, what we see is today, actually, modern scholars, and I use the word scholars, and I'm going to put my little... Uh, quotation marks here, uh, they, they like to impose upon Abraham, and actually not just Abraham, but other men and women in the Bible like Noah, that kind of view of God, that they viewed their God as this kind of territorial, regional God. But, uh, you, know, you know, they'll say that, you know, they didn't think of God as being the creator, they didn't think of God as being over all of the earth. That, what Abraham says here, flies in the face of that, doesn't it? Because, he, he's very flat out saying that God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. That encompasses everything. So he has a very universal view of God. And when I say universal, I mean God is the God of everything. There's nothing that he's not the God of. And he would be trusting that God to guide his servant on this journey. And it's a journey, by the way, that Isaac would not be going on. By the way, just to point out, and like, in case you didn't hear before, uh, the the kids talked about this very thing in Sunday school a few weeks ago, and so uh, we've got some uh, some visual aids here for our lesson today. But uh, note in verse five, look at verse five. The servant wonders what will happen if the woman is not willing to come with him. Should he take Isaac with him? It, which is a a reasonable question, and Abraham. It's a very emphatic no is his answer. Do not take my son back there. Why? Why would he say that? Because Isaac is a grown man. I mean, he could take care of himself. Why would Abraham not want Isaac to go with him? Because this is the land of promise. In fact, you see that in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth, who spoke to me and who swore to me, saying, To your descendants I will give this land... He will send his angel before you, and you will take a wife for my son from there. He's incredibly confident, isn't he? I mean, he's incredibly confident that God is going to provide. And that said, he does give the servant an out. He's like, if God doesn't provide, if, if the woman won't come back, you are free from this oath. So he makes the oath. The, the servant swears to do this. And for what it's worth, it seems that Abraham... He's old. He's in his twilight years. He's probably recounting where he came from. Abraham's recounting his troubles in other lands like Egypt. And he stressed, he probably had stressed throughout his life the need for Isaac to stay in the land God promised them. Because really what we find out is Isaac, we don't find any evidence that he ever left Canaan. We see evidence that Abraham left Canaan, of course. He went to Egypt. Jacob's going to go quite a distance as well. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But um, Isaac stayed in the land all of his life. 
In fact, in Genesis 26, he settled in Gerar, which is in that land. And God commanded him at that point, when there was a famine in the land, not to go to Egypt. He very specifically said that. So Abraham had stressed that, it would seem. And Now we notice in verse 10, he's made this oath the servant has. And he takes ten camels, ten camels. And he sets out toward Abraham's relatives with a variety of things from Abraham, a variety of, 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 of gifts and, and treasures that he would eventually be giving to the family of whatever woman he found. And uh, the point is about the Tim Camels, this was no small trip. This was not just a guy getting in his hatchback and uh, riding for a, a, a road trip. This was a big caravan. And when he got there, you know, 500 miles is about, well, it's about the distance from, it's not quite going to get me to my in-law's house in Florida, but it's a lion's share of the journey. We're talking about going from North Carolina to the western tip of Florida. This was about that distance. And it's not like he could fly. It's not like he could drive. He's on camel. This was a long, this was a significant trip. You just didn't make this trip. Uh, off the cuff and so it would have been a long journey it would have been an exhausting journey and he arrived it says at the time of the early evening when women go out to get water and he has the camels kneeling there by the well and as he arrives he wastes no time and when I say he wastes no time what does the servant do? he prays look at verses 12 through 14 he said O Lord the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. Today. Note that. And show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let, your jar, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Quite the prayer. I mean, he, he acknowledges the, the love and the kindness that God has shown to Abraham and to Isaac. And he's asking for that same kind of kindness to be shown to him. And he asks for a sign. And, and honestly, beloved, it never... And I was, I was telling Liz this earlier today. It never clicked with me. In the many times I've read this before, and I don't know why it didn't, this was a pretty audacious thing he was asking from God. Um, because he's asking God to provide a girl and show her to him by watering him and his camels. And we're not talking about a, a little puppy. Uh, like my dog, Like my dog's not a little puppy, but he comes in and we've got a little bowl that's sufficient for him. We're talking about 10 camels who've been on a 500-mile journey. So this isn't going down into the well once and coming back. This is going down into the well and coming back probably multiple dozens of times. And this was no small thing to ask from God. It would require a significant amount of water. It would require a significant amount of work. But, but what the servant is thinking here is the Lord has led me to this point and I believe he's going to show me the right woman. And uh, I, I will say we are not to ask for signs like this. Uh, 
And we ought to know that. God has given us His Word. God has given us His Spirit. God has given us wisdom which comes from the Word and from the Spirit. So we are to make decisions for our lives based on those things and not ask for signs. But I say that just to remind us that that what is happening in Genesis 24 is descriptive and not prescriptive. What I mean by that is it's not necessarily something we are to follow. It's obviously not how I'm going to teach my son to find his future wife. It's not going to how I'm going to lead my daughters to be looking for a, a potential suitor who might come for them. They're going to have to go through me first. But... Um, and then him, and Joshua says, and then me. I like that. Um, but but still, incredible faith from the servant here to ask for this, and God honors that faith. Notice the servant's request, which which is, again, an unreasonable request in, in earthly terms. I mean, it's just, it's foolish to ask uh, for someone to do all of this specifically for you. But God answers the request practically immediately. And it reminds us of some verses that may not be familiar to you, like Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four, which says, It will also come to pass that before they call, I shall answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. You know, God doesn't always seem to answer our prayers immediately, um, but God does hear us immediately. And, and God is... God in that situation. And and what that that this is what happened here because verse 15 before he had finished speaking behold Rebekah who was born to Bethuel the son of Milcah the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor came out with her jar on her shoulder. And this is remember why if you recall I believe it was the last time we were together in Genesis which again probably a month or more ago we had that section that dealt with this part of the family, and that's the whole reason they were mentioned is because of this right here, um, because he was the father of Rebecca. And what do we find out about Rebecca? We find out that she was very beautiful, which isn't necessary uh, for finding a wife for sure, but it's evidence that God was blessing Isaac and thus blessing Abraham. But something that was a necessity she was a virgin. She had not had not had relations with a man. So we're talking about the purity of God's people here. God wants a pure people. We're talking about the purity of the covenant, the purity uh, of the, the blessing God has given. So that was necessary. So this is an affirmation of the sanctity of the marriage bed here. But even deeper than that, what do we see? We see the heart of the woman. We see Rebecca's heart. In verse 16... Again, she goes down to the spring with her jar. She comes up. The servant runs to meet her. And, you know, perhaps he's even expecting God to answer his request that quickly. Or it could just be that he was eager because he definitely does seem eager here. But he asks for a drink of water, which is a reasonable thing. And she respectfully grants the request. And when he's done drinking, it is her, it is Rebecca that takes the initiative to draw water for the camels. This is just to show, to make it clear to the servant that this is all happening of the Lord's will. That that she's the one who takes the initiative to get the water for all of these camels. And we read in verse 21 that the man, the servant, gazes at her in silence and to know whether, it says, to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful 
Um, and, and you have to think that he is just in awe as he is, is observing this. Everything seems to be happening so incredibly, so quickly, just as he prayed it would. So when he, uh, when she was finished giving water to the camels, the man then acts. He takes three rings. Now the KJV says it's an, one of them is an earring. It wasn't an earring. It was one of them was like for the nose, and two of them were bracelets. They were gold, which means very valuable. Um, so he's 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 reimbursing her and then some for the work she's done. Although that's not the point. This. He's not paying her for work. This definitely has another meaning, and we, we know that. But, you know, we can't outgive God, uh, which is, I think I heard that on Sunday night somebody said that. But uh, th- there's, there's more to this. He knows that she's about to find out, and he asks who her father is and if there's room at their house for him. And, uh, again, he, he's bold. He, he he's not holding back, acting out in faith now because of all this that's going on. And so she tells the servant, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the grandson of Nahor, uh, or the, and grandson of Nahor. And then she added that they had plenty of room. And, and you can just imagine the shiver that must have gone down this man's spine, this servant's spine, given that he was first-hand witness to what was here a clear demonstration of the faithfulness of God. You know, sometimes we wish that God would be so clear and so direct uh, with us. God is a lot clearer, I think, to us than we sometimes realize. Uh, Psalm thirty-seven twenty-three says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And then there's a better known verses. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. God will make our paths straight when we seek Him. God has not only given us His Word, but He's given us wisdom. He's given us desires. Um, and and, and he, he does this for us. He leads His people along the path one step at a time. The thing is, we have to be on the path in the first place. Um, And that's the problem sometimes with us, and it's the problem with many who profess Jesus Christ as their Savior today, but maybe don't walk like it. They're not on the path to begin with. They're not even trying to walk the path that that God would have them on. Um, but he, he wants to direct us, he will direct us if we're on the path. And he does that through, again, his word. God directs us through godly counsel, the godly counsel of others. And godly counsel will, by the way, always be grounded in his word. Um, and we need to be on the path. And this servant was. So now hearing Rebecca, he's seeing how the Lord has guided him. He does the only thing he can do. And what's the only thing he can do here? Verse 26, look at that. He bowed low and worshipped the Lord. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth toward my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. And now it was time for a shiver to go up Rebekah's spine. 
because she's hearing this. And a couple of things about this. The first thing that, that would have sent a shiver up her spine is that she hears the servant invoke the name of Yahweh, of the Lord, her Lord. And that would have perked her ears. Remember, the, 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 again, capital O or capital L, lower cap O-R-D, that's the covenant name of God in our English translations. And so it's not like everybody is worshiping Yahweh. But he is, and he's come this distance, and so for him to invoke that the name of her God would have done something. And then second, of course, the God of my master Abraham. Now she she never met Abraham, but there can be little doubt that she had heard about this practically legendary relative they had named Abraham. And then to hear the servant say her God and his God had guided him to the house of her master's brother, his master's brothers. What does she do? She runs. She runs to her mother's household to tell about these things. And why the mother's household, by the way? Well, a couple of reasons possibly for that. Because her father, Bethuel, probably, like so many, had more than one wife. So she probably was naturally closer to her mother. It is also very possible, in fact, it's likely that Bethuel was not physically able to come out. Uh, which is why Rebecca's brother, by the way, a man by the name of Laban, who we read more about later with regards to Jacob, he's the one who runs out. It would have been Bethuel if he'd been able to, but Laban does this, and he hears what Rebecca says, and he runs to this servant and invites him to his house. He says, Blessed of the Lord, blessed of Yahweh. So Laban, too, is acknowledging the same God, the same God of Abraham. Now, Laban proves later on to not be such a great individual, but we'll talk more about that at that time. So what happens here? The, the, the servant comes into the house, and you know, when, once you come in from a long trip, you've got introductory matters that are taken care of, you, you know, you're getting yourself situated, the camels are getting situated, and all this stuff's going on, but it's time to eat. And after you come all this way, you're, you're probably going to be pretty hungry, but before he will sit down to eat, before he will sit down to drink, the servant has to state his business. And there's no objection from Laban or Rebecca or anyone else because after all that's happened, they're probably just as curious as he is eager to state what's going on. Remember, the servant has said, please show your, you know, today. He, he, he grant me success today. So there's no delay here in his mind. And so he tells them. How God has blessed Abraham. He, he tells them how Isaac was born to him and Sarah in their old age. And then the oath that he, he made to Abraham. Not to take a wife for Isaac from the Canaanites, but to go to his relatives. And now here he is. And he's asked for a sign. And he's recounting all of this to them. And then verse 49. Will Rebekah go or will she not go? Will they let her go or will they not let her go? Well, look at verse 49. So now... If you are going to deal kindly and truly with my master, again, he invokes Abraham here. This isn't personal. You know, don't this is Abraham you're dealing with. I'm his representative. Tell me, and if not, let me know that I may turn to the right hand or the left. So after all of this, you know, he's saying all this, all this meticulous recounting of everything. Having heard Rebecca speak earlier, her brother Laban and her, and her father Bethuel is there. What do they say in verse 50? 
The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you bad or good. Here is Rebekah. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. They can't, I mean, there's no way to doubt that this was of God. No one there has any doubt that God is the God of this situation, and that God has ordained all of this to be. But you can sense in the words a bit of unhappiness, a bit of dissatisfaction. They say, we cannot speak to you bad or good instead of simply saying, since it's of the Lord, then it is good. Um, and, and, you know, from a human perspective, we can give them a little bit of slack because, I mean, this is all happening so quickly. It's, and it's all so incredible um, and now their daughter is moving away their sister is moving away and the odds are very long that they'll ever see her again and in fact they wouldn't so they're going to miss her they love her they're going to miss her and, and we, we would probably be very much the same way if we were in that situation but would she want to go imagine being Rebecca in this situation meaning told all of this would, would she want to go and the question is, if you notice, it wasn't even posed to her before it was, the, you know, the father and the brother were agreeing to this, which on the one hand is a matter of propriety, asking the father's permission. On the other hand, the sense is that she clearly wanted to go, that she clearly was willing to go. Her initial excitement upon hearing the servant's words uh, no doubt she has been hearing more about Isaac and all of this in the, in the intervening minutes and hours since all this started. So her heart is for the Lord. And it is clear that the Lord is at work. So when, it, when clear permission is given for her to go, the servant wastes no more time doing two more things. First, again, what does he do? He bows down and he worships the Lord. Notice that. I mean, he gets it right. He bows down to the ground before the Lord. And then what does he do? I mean, he's overwhelmed at the faithfulness of God. And then he, he goes and gets the articles of silver, the articles of gold, the garments. He gives them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother, which would be customary to give to the family uh, of the, the woman who would be leaving. And only then do they eat and drink, and he spends the night there. And I can only imagine what that night must have been like. You might have a different perspective on this. I suspect the servant slept very well that night. I suspect after that long journey and, and all this, that he probably went back into his quarters and praised the Lord and prayed and probably slept like a peaceful baby. I won't say like a, a whiny baby or a colicky baby, but he slept like a, a peaceful baby. I bet Rebecca hardly slept at all. Uh, you can only imagine her nervous excitement. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I imagine Bethuel uh, and wife probably didn't sleep either. Well, I, what I was about to say is, is I imagine everyone else there probably barely slept a wink because there's probably natural second guessing that's going on they're wondering if they're doing the right thing, allowing her to leave. And I say that because in the morning, verse 54, the servant says, Send me away to my master. But what happens? Laban, the brother, 
and her mother began to kind of backtrack a little bit. Let her stay a few days, say 10. So they want her to stay a while. And from a human perspective, of course, that's understandable. You know, we're not going to see her again probably, but, but she, you know, what happens is, you know, if you're on a mission for the Lord and you know it's of the Lord, you don't delay. You know, you, you don't ever delay in doing the right thing, whatever that right thing might be. And, and, and he says, do not delay me. The servant is saying this, since the Lord has prospered my way. And he says again, send me away to my master. And so they ask Rebecca, what do you want to do? They probably, you know, I'm betting they think she'll say, let me stay a few days and then we'll, I will go. What does she say? I will go. I will go. She, too, is not going to be delayed in doing what she sees is clearly of the Lord. And what do we see? Rebecca is the hero here, humanly speaking. She is willing to abandon everything she knows to follow the Lord's will. And it, what the Lord's will for her life here is, is so clear to her, how can she then resist? How can she then delay if she belongs to the Lord? It is a reminder, to, you want a practical lesson for, for, from this chapter tonight, beloved, that's it. You should never delay following the Lord's will when you know the Lord's will. Never delay following the Lord's will when you know the Lord's will. And so they send her away with a, a nurse, a maid, and Abraham's servant, and the men with him. Verses 16 and 61, let me read those. They blessed Rebekah and said to her, May you, our sister, become thousands of ten thousands, and may your descendants possess the gate of those who hate them. Then Rebekah arose with her maids, and they mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebekah and departed. And how much Rebekah's family knew about the covenant that God made with Abraham, we can only speculate. I imagine the, the servant had probably filled them in quite well. But it is really something what they pray that she'll be the, she'll have thousands of ten thousands of descendants. And if my math is right, if I'm adding those zeros up correctly... They're basically saying tens of millions of descendants. So they obviously are praying she will be blessed and possess the gates of those who hate them. And we still wait for that day, actually. That's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns and Israel will, will be ultimately victorious over all of their enemies in the kingdom of Christ. And then this is how it closes. Let's just read the last six verses of the chapter, 62. Now Isaac had come from going to Be'er Laharoi, for he was living in the Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, took, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
We don't get details of the trip. Don't need details of the trip back. We can imagine that the servant told Rebecca all about Isaac and probably filled her in even more on Abraham and Sarah and the history and, and the covenant and the promises and all kinds of things. But as for Isaac, he's if you notice, he's at the well where his half-brother Ishmael's mother encountered the pre-incarnate Christ. Back in chapter 16, it's the same well. The, the name of the well, the God who sees... He was living there. It would appear that he was living there preparing a place for his bride. In that, in that regard, beloved, Isaac is a picture of Christ who is preparing a place for his bride even as we speak. And now his bride was being brought to him by a servant. So if you want to continue the typology there, the, and I actually read this in one of the commentaries, and I, I don't like to get into too much typology in, in scripture where it's not clear but you could argue that the typology that the servant is kind of representative of, of, of the Holy Spirit going to get the bride and bring her to the the son well as Isaac is out meditating in the evening and it would be right to assume prayer as part of that he, he was he loved the Lord he lifts up his eyes at the well called the God who sees and after praying he sees the caravan in the distance and Rebecca sees him from a distance. And if you note, she, she dismounts the camel before she even knows it's him. <laughs> it's like she, she can sense it. And she covers herself with her veil, which is the proper way to meet your husband-to-be. And you can only imagine what kind of introduction that must have been. <laughs> you know, um, I knew my wife for four years almost before we got married. <laughs> um, and I, you know, so, I think she, 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 she would tell you it took me a long time to make up my mind, actually. Um, but uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, Isaac, you know, the servant fills him in. The servant fills Isaac in on everything. And since this was all of the Lord, they don't delay, do they? I mean, he takes her into his mother's tent, which would have been vacant for three years now. It could be that she stayed in that tent for, for, for three years, or for, for, for until the, the marriage happened. I get the sense there wasn't much of a delay at all before the marriage happened. The sense in the text is that he took her into his mother's tent and he took Rebecca and she became his wife. The sense I get is it happened right then and there. This was of the Lord and you don't delay in following the Lord's will. That's why I think long engagements, and if you've had a long engagement, I apologize in advance, but long engagements are, are, are you know, if she's the one, why wait, you know? <laughs> and Isaac did not wait, it would seem to me, and he loved her, the scriptures say. And then there's that thing at the end. He missed his mother, but God more than filled the void with an excellent wife. Which, despite some failures on both of their parts that we'll see in the next couple of chapters, uh, he loved the Lord and she was an excellent wife to him. So, hey, it's not even 7.50 yet. And in Genesis 24... 
In Genesis 24, we see all kinds of things. I mean, and just to kind of uh, wrap up here, you know, what, what, what is it? we see the faithfulness of God. He's made promises to Abraham, and now he's keeping them with the next generation and providing a way for the generation after that to come along, which we'll see in chapter 25. We see the provision of God in a wife. We see how we should be quick to follow God's will. You know, and I again, let me just stress that, and, and that's something we all struggle with. We know the right thing to do, but we hesitate to do it because of the ramifications. Imagine if, if that would have happened here. Wouldn't have nearly as great a story, first of all, but, but we have people following the will. We've got to follow God's will when we know what God's will is. And, and they, they didn't delay, and we shouldn't either. Uh, we follow His Word. God will guide our path. We have to be on the path. And to use a word from Sunday's sermon, we've got to strive for faithful obedience. Believe me, the servant was striving for faithful obedience here. Rebecca was striving for faithful obedience here. It could be argued about Rebecca's family, but God is going to bless those who faithfully obey Him. And it may not happen in this life, but it does happen in eternity. God fills our voids. God's grace is sufficient. God's always good, as He proved to be here. And that's what we see as His covenant with Abraham is being played out now in the second generation getting ready for the third generation. And that's what we see, beloved, as beneficiaries of this covenant God made with Abraham. Remember, we are beneficiaries of this covenant. We, have, we are, are the beneficiaries of the spiritual blessings of the Abrahamic covenant. And, and, and so we've got to trust the Lord to guide us and go where He leads us with that delay. And I pray we will. I pray we will. Um, let's close in prayer. Father, that is our prayer. That, uh, you know, we thank you for how we can see your goodness and your faithfulness and your provision and your plan um, working itself out and how you provided a wife for Isaac. And now we pray, Father, that we might trust you to likewise meet our needs and provide for us and guide us accordingly. Um, we want to faithfully obey you, Father. Help us strive to do that. Lord, we need your help in striving to do that. And so we ask that you might compel us to seek your will through your word and help us see and understand that you meet all of our needs in Jesus Christ. We ask this in his name and pray that he'll get all the glory. Amen.